This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Richard, and welcome to the show. Honored to have you on. I've heard nothing but amazing things over many years now. Give the listeners a little bit, obviously, about yourself in case they haven't heard of you before and what the Family Office Club and some of the things you've done. You've written so many books around this topic as well. I'm looking forward to getting into that. Yeah, sure. I'll get the real short version. If anyone cares to know more, I'm happy to answer questions. So 2007, I started this investment club. It's called Family Office Club. And the family office is an ultra wealthy solution to managing their balance sheet and their portfolio, by the way. So family office clubs, community, we have people on one side, thousand members who pay for charter membership that are rules of capital. And on the other side, we have 3000 plus private investors who come to our live events and are always texting, emailing, calling me to get deals done. We have helped set up over a hundred family offices for ultra wealthy families who work with everything from uh, billionaires, we just signed a $300 million JV term sheet with a billionaire four days ago. We work with the Shark from Shark Tank. We just closed our second deal with them two Fridays ago. We also work with high net worth investors who are worth two million, five million, seven million net worth, et cetera. But over the last 14 years, written 13 books, we've posted 150 conferences ourselves and spoken to a couple hundred more in about 15 countries. And we just have found the more that we give on the niche of family offices, the more that we get back, you know, just like their podcasts, you know, how that, that math goes. So we're just trying to be as helpful as possible and long-term if we do business together. Great. If not, then we're happy to talk to you. That's awesome, Richard. I mean, you have just a wealth of information and knowledge experience in this industry. Many people have never heard of that and are probably wondering like a family office, like what is that? Uh, I know you briefly said it, but maybe explain a little bit about who's going to have a family office. Why would they have a family office? Uh, and we'll dive into some of the pros and cons of even working with a family office. Yeah. And first off, a family office is not an office in your basement of your house. I'm trying to get that across super clear. <laughs> One of my best friends and family members still be probably set up these businesses in people's basements or something, but that's not what it is. A family office is a ultra wealthy wealth management and investment solution. Well, they're worth 10, 20, 30 million, and even more often they're worth 50 or hundred million plus. Uh, and there's three types of family offices that makes them easier to understand. There are virtual family offices, which are very lean, single family offices, very lean family offices made for one person typically. You may have one full-time person or half-time person, everything else is outsourced. You keep it very lean and focused. A single family office, typically when you get to 30 to 50 million net worth or much more, all the way up to several billion dollars in net worth. And again, it's a, a team made just for you. You made your money in manufacturing, then maybe you just want to invest proactively in manufacturing, cash flow in real estate, a little bit of real estate development, and then hire a private bank or multifamily office wealth management group to manage your publicly traded assets. If that's not where you created your wealth, for example, the single family office might have three or five or 200 full-time employees within the single family office. And there's multifamily offices which are just wealth management firms that are geared towards people that are worth 10, 20, 30 million plus. They might have 20 clients, they might have 200, but they focus more on intergenerational planning, more on proactive tax planning, estate planning, and just managing all the chaos going around what an ultra wealthy family has to face. Last thing it's really important to mention is that 
most people don't know what a family office is, even if they are ultra wealthy and they should have one. So most people who are worth hundred million dollars don't really know what a family office is yet. It was just a term that's been used more frequently in the last decade here. So you may meet people who are wealthy and have a family office and they don't. It doesn't mean that they're less powerful to work with, but those are the types we're referring to when we talk about family office investors. And so ultimately, you know, once you create that kind of wealth within your family, right, your own net worth, you're going to have a full-time staff that's helping you manage that. That's ultimately what this family office is doing. Is that accurate? Right. It's basically the real function of it is to be more holistic. So think about the problems you might have if you're worth $1 million. And if you miss a tax deadline or you don't sell something at the right time or you sell it a, a day too late in 2022 versus 2021 and then by the tax laws are retroactive back to January 1st or something, then that little mistake might cost you $2,400. But if you're worth $100 million, that one mistake might cost you $200,000. So you can easily make $1 million mistakes if you're worth 50 or $100 million. So the cost of every mistake is greater. You have tons of employees. One of my clients has 140 different LLCs they have to track and keep updated. One of my other clients had seven different IRS audits going on in different states and different years at the federal level. And one of my clients has 4,000 employees. So not only are the mistakes more expensive, you're much more likely to make a mistake. So keeping in mind what your CPA told you in February or April, Keeping that in mind, we meet with your wealth advisor and your insurance agent and keeping that all straight and having to be the quarterback and everything. It's just not practical. It's almost a different world, right? When you're worth a hundred million versus a million or less uh, and making, like you said, a, a small mistake like that could easily employ lots of people to help you do it right, right? I think it's hard to visualize or, or to comprehend employing, say, 200 people just in your family office. Uh, but when you have that kind of net worth, hey, a mistake could easily pay for that kind of, that level of employee and number of employees. I, th I think that it's important to point out though, sometimes some people listen to this and they're like, oh, you know, I'm worth 2 million or 5 million or 7 million. So I can't relate to this. The main thing that I've been taking away from this is I started this business in a basement studio apartment. It was about 300 square feet in Harvard Square. And I didn't have enough money in my bank account to pay rent that month when I started this business. So... My whole motivation since then until now, and now we have 20 employees, we're doing 5 million a year in revenue and, and closing on deals every couple of weeks with investors. Like my motivation is to learn from these winners and the game of capitalism. And the way that they grow their wealth leaves clues for other people on growing their wealth. The way they organize their ideas, execute on strategies and build their business platforms, the way that they focus their energy on investments, which meet certain criteria that I can talk about. Richard, you, you talked about it a little bit there and talking about somebody that's worth, say, five to seven million, or maybe there's probably listeners who are worth eight to 10 million or more as well. When should they consider creating their own family office and maybe you give them a first couple steps and thinking through that? Yeah, sure. So I think about when you start getting to between five and 10 million net worth, you should start thinking about at least having some of the functionality of a family office in place. Because at that point, you've gone beyond, okay, I have my home, my business has this net worth, I have some money in my IRA or stock market, and you could go beyond just buying one rental property or two rental properties. At that point, or a doctor or someone who's making seven figures in profit, for example, once you get to six to 700,000 in consistent income, you should start thinking about it. And the reason is that you just need to be more thinking yourself um, against the expensive mistakes. You're also going to be more 
effective. And so what family offices typically learn over seven to 10 years, the hard way is that control everything. And it's usually not good to control nothing. So if your whole dream is to go sit on a beach and do absolutely nothing the rest of your life, and you just sold your FinTech company yesterday to Facebook, then okay, then someone can help you design that. But typically families are entrepreneurial, first-generation families, for someone used to be in the CEO. They like the challenge of business, the fun of it. They don't want to stop now after all, all the hard work of getting to where they are. They see that as just a plateau. And so it's usually best to play offense in just one or two areas really well have full control and really be having to get defense by playing offense there and growing your net worth within the niche that you have distribution or exposure, et cetera. And then typically every family that I work with wants real estate, depends on their uh, appetite for, but usually 25%, sometimes up to 50% real estate in their portfolio as a percentage of their net worth is cash flowing, some development, and then public market exposure, which is the most passive usually, unless you made your money in public markets. And so there's those three levels. Aggressive, full control, the moderates, I'm going to pick the food group, maybe even pick out the assets with the equipment sponsor, real estate portfolio, and then a highly diversified public markets portfolio. So that there's different brains managing different components. And doing that is a very effective way of growing your net worth once you get to that level. And then you also want to make sure you have female as quality service providers when you get to that five to million net worth. Because they shouldn't just be a cost. It should be an investment you get an ROI out of. And your attorneys give you creative structures for your deals. Your tax planner should help you proactively plan things out, et cetera. Makes complete sense. And I was just thinking through that the listener who may, they're listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I'm right around 10 million, $12 million net worth. Maybe I should be considering this. This makes sense to me. I, should they consider something like the multifamily office, like you're talking about? Uh, or if not, or they say, you know what? I, I don't want to have the multifamily office. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to go ahead and start my own. Uh, who should be their first hire? Yeah, good, great question. Part of it depends on who they have within their operating businesses. If you have sold off your company and that's why you're ultra wealthy, then I have to start from scratch. Otherwise, some people will have their operating business and just hire a really powerful CFO within that operating business. But if a lot of their net worth is represented within that manufacturing company or consumer products company, and that CFO is effectively overlooking their offensive part of their portfolio, right? So you can beef up the team within your operating business as part of the strategy. And it's really important to have excellent CFO controller, um, excellent uh, wealth advisor who understands a virtual family, what a virtual family office is. I'm at like over a thousand such wealth advisors. And we just work with three that work with different size families. So if anyone needs a connection there, we're happy to, to do that. And while we used to charge the three, $4,000 month routine to help set up family offices, we just do it for free now. We teach this at our workshops for those people that are raising capital. But the most important thing is to add value to uh, an investor and build that relationship. And once we have helped them put their family office together and help them define their direct investment strike zone, well, then you know exactly what to bring to them because you know what, what hits that strike zone. So the priorities of a family though are going to determine they may need to hire most, right? So a real estate family is going to hire someone different than someone who has like a publicly traded company in a consumer product space. The most important thing is not the first person to hire. The most important thing is to identify your values, your objectives, your priorities, where you want to be in the future and not spend any money or hire anybody or invest in anything until the mission of your family, your values and priorities and your culture, your wealth creation story. Because otherwise you're going to hire the wrong person or waste money or someone's going to create a game plan for you that's good for them and not for you. 
And you'll be wasting time and money if you don't really identify what your, your family stands for. You won't know who to hire and fire or even where to base your family office. Well, what about a couple examples or ways that you've seen people add that value to say, to a family office to start building that relationship like you're talking about? Yeah, sure. Uh, one good example is I moved here to Scottsdale last year. And the first week I was here, I was getting my car service somewhere and I saw their business model was really unique. It was well-branded and I looked on their website and they had 20 some locations. So I emailed a cold message to the founder via LinkedIn. And I said, oh, it looks like you're expanding quickly. I assume that you're raising capital and giving away equity every time that you open one of these locations. I have an investment structure that would protect you from valuations. You don't have to give away any equity and you can still raise the capital you need, the equity capital you need to, to grow faster. And they responded the same day. I met in person with them and met in person at their board. And they've had a hundred million plus exit to a large bank recently, et cetera. So that was, that was one way. Um, other ways are connecting families to each other. Another way is helping them create, create a family office or just into a service provider to see that they know. And then if you look at where family create their wealth, you know, it's in some niche like stem cells or uh, venture capital, et cetera, then you might think who's the most valuable person on that niche, what project are they working on? And then just don't just randomly connect people, but have it be more meaningful. Like why would they connect and what is the project exactly where one person would put capital in the others or one person could employ the son of the other person to get an internship or something like that. So hopefully that takes the wheels turning for some people. As far as what the family offices are looking for right now, when specifically say investing in commercial real estate uh, or maybe specifically multifamily, what are they? Let's say they already have the relationship with an operator. Maybe they haven't done a deal together yet, but you know they've already built that that trust there, right? We're not worried about that at this point. However, what type of deal are they looking for? What makes it uh, the deal for most family offices to truly consider? Hey, this is going to be a great opportunity for me. Maybe it's returns, or it's probably outside of returns most of the time. But what does that look like? Yeah. Novices in business, like when you're getting your MBA or in business school or something, and you're afraid someone's going to hear your strategy. You're like, oh, I got to keep the strategy secret or someone's going to take it. But just like your strategy of producing 1,200 podcast episodes over the last couple of years, the reality is you can say that, but no one else wants to do it. It takes a ton of execution. Like just like me writing 13 books, like who wants to do that, right? Only the really motivated, focused person. So what people mistake is that they think it's about the investment strategy. And they think someone's going to steal it. That's wrong. Some people think, oh, it's all about it. Promise of the biggest returns. That's wrong. We talked about that and the trust factor. It's a lot about the execution, but also doesn't get talked about nearly enough. It's the structure of the deal. I'll let you choose any deal strategy. And if you allow me to structure the deal, I can make it an amazing deal for me, right? None of the liability, all the cash flow, all the profits, you know, the person would get nothing. But people don't custom negotiate structures. They don't custom set up structures. They don't think, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm a passive investor. I just have to go into whatever structure they offer me. But when I'm not passive and I'm investing my own portfolio in the operating businesses, um, like yesterday, we had a due diligence call with a medicinal, like psychedelic mushroom company in Canada. It's kind of early on on that trend, it's not like the cannabis trend. And when you're negotiating those types of private deals, you can set up a structure pretty much however you like, as long as it applies the securities laws. And people overlook that. So the savviest of investors custom structure their deals. My billionaire client that we've closed five or six deals with, my $1.2 billion REIT client, the shark 
from Shark Tank have closed to deals that they all custom structure the deals. A new ultra wealthy investor or small private investor never custom structure their deals. They don't even negotiate the fees. They just go into whatever people offer. And also, I think that is what investors should be looking for and the savviest largest ones do look for above everything else. So they're going to, I mean, they're going to work with that family office to make ensure it's favorable for them, right? And be willing to be flexible, I guess. I I think some people I've I've heard this and and maybe this is a myth. I I just want you to kill this myth if it is a myth or or, or not. Uh, But some people say, well, I don't want to give somebody that much control of a deal or they're going to want too much control or too much power over the project or I just, I hear that often. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah. And this comes up often with one of my top clients. What we do is we find the best of breed independent sponsors in private equity and real estate. And we sign $309 JV equity term sheets where we roll out the $309 of equity over five or 10 deals over three to five years with them. Well, it could be more deals than that. But what's interesting is some people are saying, we'll put 97.5% equity of a deal. They only put up 2.5% as the sponsor. And if they run drives, dried powder, then we'll, we'll help them out on that and back it out of fees or something. But what's really interesting is hearing some people say, oh, why don't we change that full control? We're like, yeah, but it's 97, 5% of our money. And they're like, oh no, I'm just not comfortable. It's giving up control. And we point out, they're like, well, you didn't have control yesterday of the 300 million. And if you don't like that, then someone else is going to have the management contract and earn millions and millions of fees per year off of this agreement. And so... It's not like you've lost anything, right? Like, I guess if you're time constrained and it's just too annoying to deal with an extra $20 million or $50 million to manage, we don't want that to build your infrastructure to serve a smaller private investor. Just like, okay, maybe turn away the money. But the sophisticated funds and sponsors understand there's different layers of the capital stack. And you've got institutional investors are going to want one thing and big family offices want another. The $20 million worth the U.S. want something else. They care about cost segregation and bonus depreciation, et cetera. And the small investors might just want passive income, a decent return, it's hands off, it's easy to understand. So you wouldn't have controlled the money if you didn't get their investment done. So I just like open your brain to, okay, I'm going to put this person in this box and this is different part of our model, et cetera. And those are the people that, that grow this assets out there. Yeah, that's incredible. You're not going to control it. At all, anyway, right? If, you, if you're, right. you're not willing to be somewhat flexible, again, like you're talking about, that's, that's a great answer. So what really pushed you in the beginning to become so self-disciplined? I mean, very few people have written that many books uh, uh, around these topics. And, and so no doubt you're somebody of self-discipline. Where did that come from? How did just this come about? Just the desire to be that disciplined? Growing up, I had started five businesses before I got out of high school. And I'd always played a lot of sports Genetically, I'm a pretty average American guy. I'm not like extra tall or extra something that, uh, but I love competitive sports and play some in high school, college, et cetera. And so essentially the combination of those two things. So I finally got going in the family office space. It was kind of combining the, the rigor of training for sports to the family office industry and really just training harder than some others to be more dedicated to. And I think also. When you start many different businesses, and then you start one that actually works and people actually want what you have instead of refreshing and nice after like falling on your face a bunch of times. Um, and then you appreciate it and you not take it for granted and you say, Hey, I have something here. So as long as I can, I'm going to really take advantage of that kind of most value at the end of the snitch. And then the final thing was, um, Jeffrey Gamer was one of my mentors early on, along with Evan Pagan. But Jeffrey Gamer told me that if you add value, to people who could say yes to you on, in a certain business niche or opportunity, 
and you add value to them just once a week through like a newsletter or an article or a video, et cetera. And you do that for one to two years, you'll be a local expert. And if you do that for three or four years, it'll be a regional expert. If you do that for five to seven years, it'll be a global expert. When I read that, I hadn't heard of the same office industry yet, but I said to myself, well, I'm for sure going to do that. I just don't know the niche yet. I'm going to use that formula on. But I liked any formula where all it took was a whole bunch of focus and hard work because then it de-risked it. And I knew, okay, well, I know I can do focus and hard work. So I want to control my destiny. And that gave me a formula to control it. I just needed to find the right niche. And then when I found the ultra wealthy niche of female offices, I said, oh, I can't find anyone to be helpful to me on this topic. And these are the richest people on planet earth. And nobody is, nobody's talking about it really. Like so backwards that I kind of went all in on that and then started putting out a ton of content and got the rewards doing that. Awesome. I can relate to that to some extent. That's incredible. What about some daily habits that you're disciplined about that have helped you achieve this level of success? Yeah, sure. So exercising and health is definitely one. I think getting seven hours plus of sleep, don't always succeed at that. That's uh, been a top priority. I think most important that's unique to share to probably both of us who are doing a lot of things every day is that I know what my monthly goals are, my quarterly goals, my annual goals. I have a theme for every year. I have a media plan. Like for example, one year I only consume podcasts and books from Dan Sullivan. Uh, in 2022, I'm going to be only listening to podcast episodes and reading books and white papers and articles from uh, billionaires. If they're not a billionaire, I'll wait till 2023. And then what I do is I, it's also when I read a really good book or go to a conference and hear an idea that I just know, just like that Jeffrey Gittimer formula, but if I put that in place, it would just reap huge rewards or it's exactly what I need to to do. It's most of us know what we need to do, but we don't actually do it, right? Like you could summarize the whole diet health industry with like move your body around and exercise, eat clean food that's not processed and sleep enough, right? And like everyone knows that, but I don't know any human being who does all three of those things really well consistently, like not very many at least. So what I do is I summarize with one, there's like I'll summarize the whole book in one line. And then I put all those one liners on this one pager I have. And the one pager has my theme of the, of the year at the top. My monthly goal, quarterly goal, my annual goals, and then a whole bunch of one-liners, like 40 different one-liners at the bottom. And then I laminate that and I put it in my office. I travel with it. I put it where I shave every morning. And while I'm shaving every morning, I read that over and it's like my compass. So now I'm interpreting my email inbox, everything during the day, based on what my goals are and where I'm going. And that's my roadmap or my airplane cockpit kind of control center of my rules for living and what where my energy is going to flow. And that's been super critical and really helpful. Otherwise, you read a great idea, you forget to implement it. Or you have a goal, but you don't know what your goal is for a couple months. Or you just get off track when you're trying to get done for the year, et cetera. That, that's incredible. Could you give an example or two of, the one, of a one-liner like you're talking about? Yeah. So one of them is what you do is more important than how hard you work. One of them from being solvent is you're going to put the time in anyways, so you might as well enjoy life. Another one that I have is just a reminder to listen to Billy News. Another one from Brian Richard is you need to take bold, massive action. Another one from Tony Robbins is that everyone's obsessed about strategy. And you go to NBA to get strategies, you go to conferences, get strategies, read books, get strategies. But the state of your mind and the story you're telling yourself is probably at this point more important than collecting more and more strategies. And so I have a reminder about that in there as well. And then you've got people who have been mentors to me 
So at the bottom of the page, I have eight headshots of the little square headshot of these people. Um, they're kind of my kind of board of advisors that they don't even know they're on the air, but it's kind of think, what would they do in this situation? Or what would they suggest if I had a conversation with them, et cetera? I've interviewed 1200 plus people now, and I've never heard that before. And I think it's incredible. I mean, I've heard different things similar, but not exactly like that or that detailed. I, uh, how do you create something like that? Or is that just like kind of continuous work in progress? The best part about me suggesting that to your listeners is that it costs absolutely nothing. You don't need to go to my website and sign up for some trial memberships and pay me for it, right? It's just free. So I just create a Word document, plan out your year and have your three to five or seven annual goals. Every month, I have five areas of goals or two to three actions that I get done within those areas. Quarterly goals, I set up five big rocks for every quarter when I sure to get done. And I just have that flow down the top half of the page in the second half. Whenever you read a really great book and I shoot myself a little email with a summary of that idea or that concept to add it to my dashboard is what I call it. So I'm always adding it and modifying it. I take off old one-liners that aren't as valuable, odds, leading more, et cetera. And then just think who's been the most inspirational and who do you want to be when you grow up? Like one of my clients, he has probably, I don't know, 30 different companies and does over a billion a year in revenue. But if he really enjoys his life, he's laughing at every meeting he goes to, he's constantly traveling, he's having a great time, he'll close these big deals. And I want to be like that when I grow up. So that's someone that I have on my one pager. And I have like, for example, Jeffrey Gittimer, who I mentioned him earlier, Evan Pagan on there, Dan Sullivan, et cetera. So it's pretty simple. There's no real secret to it or trick. If anyone wants feedback on how to do it or whatever, then you shoot me an email at richard at Offices. Dot com and I'm happy to give a feedback or whatever, but it's not rocket science. But what's interesting, nobody does it. So I've told this to my best friends who I know super well. They take advice from me. I take advice from them. I say this to groups of doctor investors and private investors and people at our workshops. I don't know a single person who's done it. Well, often say, oh, wow, that's a really good idea. I don't know anyone who actually does it. And that's the whole thing is like the execution is all that matters. And this is like an execution dashboard. Every day, this is not what I'm going to execute on. Almost nothing else matters. Richard, if you had to say, hey, the one thing that's contributed to your success, what would that be? It's integration or integrity of a lot of different things in life. So I think people think of integrity as like morally aligning your actions with that good values. But I see integrity as integrating the media you consume, the food you eat, the clothes you wear, where you live, who you work with, business model, your pricing, everything that you have in life, if you can align all of it, then it just helps each other and things go easier. It's less of a struggle and there's less friction. But if you wear sweatpants into a meeting and you only slept one hour to play video games all night, you go to a really important meeting, there's going to be some friction there and it's not going to go too well. So just the more alignment, the better. I feel. And when you get your one page, you've got with me, I've got a special gift for you as well. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that in a big way. Uh, and our, how, how do you like to give back? The first way is I really believe that if you run a business the right way, your employees get the benefit so much from being inspired by good leadership, getting paid more than other people would pay them because you align the interests and make it so that their performance compensation really rewards them instantly for great. And you just get them off their ear to you if you're not. We have a, a division called investorresidences.com where we're buying luxury homes to rent out and investors can stay there while we rent them out. And what we're trying to do is help build one house 
for people in other countries, like in a poor village or for homeless kids or orphanage, et cetera, trying to build one house for every house that we buy in that network. And that's something we got inspired to do through um, Jeff Hoffman, who's one of the founding investors in Priceline.com, Booking.com. And we're also giving yeah, $100 Visa debit cards to all of our employees on Sunday this weekend. We're going to tell them to go out and find someone in the community that they want to help. They could buy Christmas presents for someone who lost their job for their kids. So they could um, use it for someone who's just having a, a hard time with their husband or wife, or they could use it for someone who's homeless and help them buy them some blankets or something. So and in that way, we allow each of the employees to go out and feel like they are helping someone else and get that same good feeling of being able to help somebody else. So that, those are the couple of things that we're most focused on, but we really try to make sure day to day that we're running the company in a way that's genuinely helpful to people who are on our podcast or at our conferences, but also to our employees. And then they pass that on to people like our customers. Awesome. Uh, Richard, it's been an honor to get to meet you finally and, and have you on the show. And as the listeners and I both have learned a lot uh, about family offices, so many details that I'm so thankful came out during the interview, but even some more personal stuff about self-discipline and obviously the, the dashboard one pager, which I encourage listeners to, if you missed that part, I mean, you, you go back and listen to that uh, with a special offer. So uh, I, I, I'm just grateful uh, for you being so transparent and willing to share uh, and helping so many people getting into this industry and learning these things. Uh, tell them though, how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you and the family office club. Yeah, it's just uh, three quick places. Somebody's here because they're raising capital. Then just go to capitalreason.com. We have a free book free there. If you're curious about family offices and you want to learn a lot about that and see one of our live events, et cetera, we have 15 live events a year. That's at familyoffices.com. And we've got a whole bunch of free stuff on there. That's our whole business model is to help people out. And then if they want to join as a member, we have a $99 trial for new members that are raising capital and it's free for investors. And in the last place, investorclub.com, if you're a passive investor and you want to see the best of the best investments that we see out of a thousand plus deals a year or work with us in some way as an investor, just go sign up at uh, investorclub.com and it's free to join. There's no annual fee. There's no fee when you invest. Uh, we do the deal together. It's just a small profit share on the back end. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.